I know we're in the book of Micah, but I want to read these words from the prophet Ezekiel. I realize I have a bookmark here. Ezekiel 34, uh, verses 1 through 10 says this. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, you have been feeding yourselves. Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against the shepherds. And I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. That they may not be food for them. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recall again and again that you, you are the good shepherd. But in your wisdom, you have chosen to use fallen finite men and women to lead, to guide, to shepherd, to feed your flock. Lord, I pray that you would be with all of us who find ourselves in those roles. Help us to be humble. Help us to see this wonderful yet awful responsibility. Because as shepherds, we will be giving an account to you. Because these sheep are yours. Help us, Lord. Help us to set our eyes on you. Help us to trust you in difficult circumstances. Help us to not fall to the philosophies and the ways of the world because they seem easier or it seems to produce better than the ways of God. Pray you would be with us this morning as we look at your text from Micah. May it stir our hearts and may we be reminded again that you have promised to be with us even in dark times. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. I want to read two verses from Micah before we look at the whole chapter, because I want to set up here the consequence, if you will, of this poor leadership. And so we read in Micah chapter 3, verse 4, then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. In verse 12, therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house, a wooded height. Those are the two consequences that we read in this chapter that the people of Judah are going to face because their leaders are continuing to sin and rebel against what God has called them and the people are following suit. Mike is not an easy book to read. It's almost as if God is laying before people a relentless piling up of their sins Saying, see all of this? This is why that's coming. It's almost as if that's what's happening, and that's because it is what's happening. I know you're probably familiar with this passage. You might even have it memorized, and you don't even know that you have it memorized. But there's this blessing that we sing as part of a song here from Numbers chapter 6. We read, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance or his face upon you and give you peace. But what we see in Micah is the people who are running from that God and will get to a point at some point and call out to God and then he won't answer them. That is the scariest thing, isn't it? There's a Bible scholar, Bruce Waltke, or Waltke. He says, the worst form of judgment for Israel is not the affliction itself, but the absence of God in it. That's the scariest thing. Not the affliction, not the judgment, not the condemnation, not, not the wrath of God, but God not being there when we go through it. So again, I say thank you to Kim because your few words are probably way better than anything else I'm going to say this morning. Except for this, because I'm not saying this. This is from God, Micah chapter three. Micah chapter three, we read these words. And I said, hear you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and the flesh off of their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off of them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. Then they, those who do this, will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who put nothing in their mouths. 
Therefore, it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners be put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there will be no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with the power, with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgressions and to Israel his sins. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and you rulers of the house of Israel who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight and who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they, lead the, yet they lean on the Lord and they say, is not the Lord in our midst? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field and Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house, a wooded height. Church, sinful leadership draws the condemnation of man. Sinful leadership draws the condemnation of man, not just upon themselves, but upon those they lead astray. If you were looking here right at verse one, he starts off with the word of God. He says, you heads of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel. Micah is talking to the leaders, the caretakers, the shepherds, the guides, the prophets, the priests, Anybody who had any kind of authority, they were leading these people astray. And the reality is, is that all of you find yourself in one of those categories some way. If you are an adult, you find yourself in one of those roles. So don't think this has nothing to do to me. And if you're a younger person, listen up. Because it's better for you to be prepared for this reality. Because one day you will have one of these roles. Maybe in your home, maybe in your place of work. Maybe you'll be part of a a civic organization or a club or a coach or or something like that you will find yourself in a role where you will play a leader a shepherd a guide a protector don't assume this isn't about you these leaders disregarded the word of god They showed such carelessness to what God had called them to do that they were indifferent to the very people God had given them to shepherd and to lead and to guide. In fact, they were exploiting the ones they were called to protect. What we have here is corrupt leaders wearing a shepherd frock. They're wolves. Worse than wolves, they're cannibals. Look at how it's being described in, in verses 2 and 3. I mean, they are skinning them. They are filleting them. They are breaking them into pieces. They're chopping them up and throwing them into a cauldron to simmer, add a few potatoes, add some carrots, whatever seasonings they like, so that they can fill their bellies with the very thing they were called to protect. It's scary. In fact, God speaking through another prophet, Zechariah, towards the end of verse 5 of chapter 11 says, their own shepherds have no pity on them. 
Friends, filling up your gluttonous stomach with the redeemed sheep of God's pasture is the surest way to find yourself under the condemnation of God. So while I say to all of you who are leaders, parents, teachers, administrators, I also want to say to us, elders of this church, pastors, shepherds of this church, let us be careful. Let us not be arrogant. Let us not be boastful when we are running towards destruction. Make sure I clarify that. I'm not saying we are, but let us be aware so that we don't do that. When you look at this passage, you might say, well, why? Why are these leaders condemned? We know they're false. We know they're, they're leading them astray. But why? What is it that God sees them doing in here in this chapter that he condemns them, that they draw the consternation of God? Well, right at the very beginning in verse 1 in the first half here of 2, we see that these leaders are condemned because they manipulate justice. You rulers of the house of Israel, is it not you? Is it not for you to know justice? You hate the good, you love the evil. Well, Micah is saying there when you should know justice, he's not saying you should have some sort of intellectual comprehension of the laws of God. He's actually saying by no, he's talking about something more intimate. It should be you. You should be about justice. He's pointing to their moral character. In 2 Chronicles 19, we are instructed that the Lord calls leaders to enforce his justice, not their justice, not what they desire. They had forgotten the warning that God gave from the very beginning when he calls the Israelites out of bondage and he promises them this promised land and he, he's going to guide and provide and, and, and do all these things for them. He says to the leaders in Exodus chapter 23, verse six through eight, you shall not pervert the justice due to the poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous for I will not acquit the wicked. You shall not Take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and it subverts the cause of those who are right. They've forgotten these things. And so these leaders are storing up the condemnation and the judgment of God. But it's not just because they, they didn't show justice. The Lord counts their lack of mercy against them. In verses 2 and 3, we have this grotesque depiction of how they are treating the people last week in chapter two we saw this as well they they didn't just take but they kept squeezing to get every ounce that they could get from those people let us heed the sober words of james chapter 2 verse 13 judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy that's scary but it's not just these two things. These leaders are also under the condemnation of God because they are motivated by greed. Take a look here at verse 11. The heads 
give judgment for a bribe. The priests teach for a price. The, the prophets practice divination for money. Everybody was in it for themselves. They were all using these things, these positions, these gifts, not for the glory of God, not for the edification of the church or, or the people. They did it so that they could line their pockets. Their coffers were being filled, and that was what was pleasing them. The ones God had appointed to guide, to protect, to shepherd were fleecing the flock. That happens. Why? Because we love money. We're told in 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I want to clarify that. It's not the root of all evil. I have done plenty of evil things and no money was included in that action. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered from their faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. He's echoing the very thing that Micah is saying. You're chasing after the wrong thing. You are putting yourself in danger. It's not just because they manipulated justice. It's not just because they lacked mercy. It's not just because they were greedy. The final reason in, in Micah 3 is, is they're under the condemnation of God because they have misplaced confidence. Again, take a look here at, at verse 11, the second half of this verse. Micah says, yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Is that funny? They have no care for what the Lord has. They don't care how he has called them to lead. They don't care how he has called them to worship. They cast off all of these things. Yet they say, hey, God, I mean, surely you're with us. I mean, we're the promised people. You have chosen us. They, everything they have done has been to defame his name. Everything they have done has been about themselves instead of what the Lord desires. And yet they think, well, surely God is on our side. Again, it's where is this scary because you are sitting in a church and you come regularly or you do these, these spiritual things and their actions. Yet we read in the Old Testament from Isaiah, Jesus actually quotes Isaiah in Matthew 15, 8 and says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's scary, isn't it? Because the reality is, if we were truly honest with ourselves, if we took a moment right now and we truly were going to be real with ourselves, I think you would find that all of us struggle with these things, with these sinful actions. I mean, maybe we don't do it in like huge, big ways that, of course, God's going to condemn those things. We just do it in little ways, which, I mean, come on, it's not that bad. I mean, we're only manipulating a little bit to get our way. I mean, we, we put our finger a little bit on the scale so that justice flows really in our direction, which I love that, that analogy because justice shouldn't flow in our direction as we manipulate justice. We all battle greed. We all have put time or our treasures above the needs of somebody else. We've all cheapened the grace of God by saying, well, we're all sinners, aren't we? 
little side bracket here. I hate when people say that. Because what they mean is, it's really not that bad. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner, it's okay. But where does God say it's okay? It's almost as if God said to an apostle, I would like you to write to the Roman church to tell them, it is not right to go on sinning so that grace abounds by no means. I mean, don't keep going like, well, God's grace is, is beautiful. And the more I sin, the more his grace is shown. So good, we're all sinners. That's not what God desires. We should hate sin. God hates sin. So shouldn't we hate it? Shouldn't we have that like, mm, that uh, sick can't think of another other word besides vomit that, that bubbles up inside of us. That like, I don't want to do this because it dishonors God. Especially as leaders, we should be setting an example that, that shows that we want to die to self. Instead, seek after the Lord. So we're about halfway through this book, and every Sunday, I don't know why I pick this book to preach through, because the whole week before, I'm just like, this is stinks. I don't like preaching this. This is really hard. He's blunt. He's relentless. He's calling out sin, and these people aren't going to hear it. I mean, you know that. He is saying that. Why does he do this? Why doesn't Micah just pack up his things and go back to his little town and go back to the flock that he has? And it, I, I think the response that, that Micah had at those times is the same thing that, that I believe God is telling me as I'm preaching through this series. It's this truth. Warnings of condemnation can lead to a response. These heavy words of Micah are a warning. And he keeps heralding them again and again and again and again because he, he knows that there can be a response here. Something can happen. Micah isn't saying these things because he's like, I hate you. He is saying them because he says, I love you. I want you to hear these words. It's like a parent, right? I have a bunch of kids. They run around if we live on a busy street, I'm not like, if you run into the street, it will be awesome. Do it. I want you to experience the joy of seeing what will happen to you when that car comes around the corner and wipes you off the face of the planet. No. A parent out of love Although on their face at that moment, it might not look very loving. Out of love says, stop you idiot. Why? Because I love you. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm trying to save you from the thing that's going to destroy you. Micah is saying these things because there can be a response. They can hear it and they can turn. He wants them to see their sin and lament over it. Sometimes we think we have such great vision, but it isn't until someone holds it up in front of us and says, do you see this? That all of a sudden you're like, 
oh my Lord, how have I been doing this for so many years? And it breaks our heart that we are driven to repent. Repent, right? Like turn away. That's what repent means. The simplest definition is to turn away and to turn back to the Lord. I thought I was honoring God, but you've shown me I've actually been pursuing myself. I want to stop doing that and we turn to the Lord. I thought I was doing what was right, but I was being selfish. So I repent, I turn to the Lord. There's a prophet, Jeremiah. In, in Jeremiah uh, 26, this prophet lives about 100 years after Micah. And in Jeremiah 26, which verse did we start with? 19. I'm going to start actually a, a, a verse earlier here to fully help you see that Jeremiah is pointing to this day, this time when Micah is speaking. And he says in verse 18, Micah of Morsheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. And he said to all the people of Judah, thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins and the mountain of the house, a wooded height, right? That, that's Micah 11, uh, chapter three, verse 12. Then look, this is what Jeremiah says. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah and all of Judah put him to death? Did they kill Micah? no. Did he not fear the Lord, speaking of Hezekiah, and entreat the favor of the Lord? Did he not, did he not, excuse me, and did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he had pronounced against them? But we are about to bring great disaster upon ourselves. Jeremiah is saying, Hezekiah heard what Micah was saying and he, he relented, he repented. And what Hezekiah ends up doing is he ends up tearing down all of these, uh, the high places that were worshipped by other pagan gods. And he, he, he starts to bring renewal and the people start to follow after the Lord. And Jeremiah, a hundred years later, is saying, if we don't do what Hezekiah did when he heard that they were under the condemnation of man, we will experience the wrath of God. The king repents and he seeks the forgiveness of the Lord. And God relents and withholds his judgment. A true leader who loves the Lord speaks harsh words out of love. They remind themselves, they remind others that sin leaves the condemnation. Godly men and women warn out of a place of love. In 2 Chronicles chapter 33, we read about Hezekiah's son. His son's name is Manasseh. And he is called the worst king of all of Judah. So there's, there's, there's a little bit of warning here. Hezekiah hears the warning of Micah, but Hezekiah doesn't continue to warn his own children. So this king, after Hezekiah, Manasseh, the worst king of all of G Judah, does some histor uh, horrible, depicable, despicable things. He, he, he resets up all the high places that his father tore down. And worse than that, he actually sets up an altar to pagan gods in the temple of God. And if that's not bad enough, he reinstitutes child sacrifice, sacrificing his own son. 
sounds like he didn't heed the warning of Micah, of God. Hezekiah is actually captured by the Babylonians. And we read this account that Hezekiah repents. He calls out to the Lord. And the Lord frees him and he gets to sit back on the throne of Jerusalem again. Why do I bring that up? Because you can always respond. There's always a chance. There's always a time now. Respond to this now. Why do I bring this up? Because there's something pretty interesting here. In Micah chapter 3 verse 4. These evil leaders call out to the Lord. But we read God will not answer them. He'll hide his face from them. Why does he hide his face from these leaders, but he doesn't hide his face from Manasseh, who is counted as the worst, most evil king of the southern kingdom? Because if one calls out with sincere confession of sin, God will listen to that prayer. If anyone comes in humility, if anyone comes humbly pleading, forgive me, I'm wrong, I need you, I need grace, I need you to lead my life, I have seen where this is going, God always hears that prayer. You might ask, well, how could God pray? Excuse me, how could God hear that kind of prayer? How could God forgive such a rebel, evil people or such an evil king as Manasseh? How could he pardon such grotesque actions that I have committed? He's able to do it because there's one who is infinitely more worthy. By the precious blood of his beloved son, he counts your sins against him. The wrath of God is coming. It's going to strike you. But instead, those who repent, those who come humbly, those who seek and plead, Lord, forgive me. I need something else. I can't do this by myself. I will trust in your son. The wrath of God still comes. It strikes, but it doesn't hit you. Instead, it falls upon Christ. That's a good shepherd. That's a shepherd that is stepping between the very thing that you. We have a wrong picture here, right? We, we think these wolves are always trying to hop the fence or, or come into the flock. But the reality is we stupid sheep keep running right into the mouth of the thing that's going to devour us. Jesus steps between the wrath of God falls upon him. And what do you get? You get the grace of God. The only way you could be counted as not condemned, no longer standing under the condemnation of God is to be found in Christ. Because when God looks upon you, if you are in Christ, God sees Jesus and he says, oh, my beloved, my sweet, my dear, my perfect one. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what do we do with a passage full of condemnation? We listen to it. Christian, 
you no longer stand condemned. But please, as a Christian, we read these passages and we are driven to examine ourselves. Am I doing these things? Am I chasing after these errors? Am I pursuing sin? Am I being a bad leader? Not because I'm going to be condemned. There's, I'm, I'm under Christ. There's no condemnation. But because I want to honor God more. I don't want to just be a little bit away from sin. I want to flee from it. I want to run and be more like that good shepherd. So whether you've been a Christian for 20 years or 20 minutes. You read this passage You don't have to fear the reality that God won't listen to your prayers and turns a deaf ear to you. You don't have to fear that you will be forgotten and cast out. But you should still read these things and say, I want to be so sure that I am not chasing these things. And so we draw closer to the Lord and we repent wherever it shows up in our lives. We don't say, well, we're all sinners. We say, that makes me sick and I want to cast it away. So you can read this passage and you can think about it like I did over this last week and say, where's Christ in this passage? Take a look here at verse 8. Micah speaking says this, but as for me, I'm filled with power. With the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgressions and to Israel his sins. Let me clarify something right here before we dive into verse 8. Micah is a regular human being. He's not super amazing in some sort of supernatural way, right? Like Micah is calling out sin, but Micah is a sinner. Micah is not from some sort of influential family. We know next to nothing about him. The only thing we know is he's from a little tiny town and he probably was a shepherd. Not a mover or shaker of that time. Micah is an ordinary person with flaws. Yet he stands up against the corruption of these leaders. He calls out these rebel covenant breakers, not because he was anything special, but because he has the power of God with him. Church, God empowers us to stand for him. The more I read Micah, the more I look at our world and I say, it's the same place. We have corrupt leaders. We have people who who take advantage of, of the weak. Justice seems to be all skewed. We live in a world today that says right is wrong and wrong is right. Or, or the fact that there is no right and wrong and everything's just whatever you want it to be. It's like we live in such a chaotic world and we say, oh, this modern world. And all I got to do is look back and it's like we're looking at more than 2,000, oh, about almost 3,000 years ago. It's the same thing. 
And so the very thing that empowers Micah to stand forward against all of this stuff, to be this bulk work that that stands against the tide that is rushing the other way, isn't because he was the smartest dude in the room. It wasn't because he had all this money that he could keep doing these things. It was because he was filled with the spirit of God. And the reality is that as a Christian, you have it better than him. Because at that time, the Spirit of God would sit upon someone and then the Spirit could go away. This is why when David sins, he says, Lord, please don't take your Spirit away from me. But in the New Testament, we are promised that as soon as we put our faith in the Lord, he dwells with us forever. The end of Ephesians, uh, was it chapter, chapter 1, tells us that the Spirit is a seal and a promise of what's already yours. God is the one who's going to empower us to stand against sin and rebellion. You might say, where are you, God? And my answer to all of us Christians, where are you? Because there he is. Where are you? Because there he is. We have the promise of the indwelling spirit of God to go and to speak the good news, to to be the the presence and the character of God. And you might say, not me, Pastor Kurt. I I can't do that. I'm scared. I don't don't have your education. I, I, you know, like I'm I'm brand new. I, I don't know what you're talking about. The world out there is mean. Hear the words of Jesus. From Luke chapter 12, verse 12, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say at the moment when you need them. In Acts chapter 4, we read that it's the Spirit of God that strengthens the people to speak boldly. The final words that Jesus says in Acts chapter 1 before he ascends to heaven is, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. It's fine to be scared. It's fine to feel like you don't know what you're going to say. I sometimes wonder if if Micah says these things and he's like, I don't know where this is coming from. A Christian brother, sister, like, have you ever experienced that? Have you ever had that moment where there's, there's this challenge, someone's saying something maybe about the Christian faith or, or there's this opportunity to share the gospel and, and you just start talking and you don't know where these words are coming from. It's, it's as if the, the spirit of God has given you the words just like God said they would. It's as if you have the power to say, I'm not going to go along with this. And, and you don't know where that backbone came from. It came from God. Church, why do we creep back so much against a world that is going towards destruction when God has said, I give you a spirit, a spirit of power, a spirit of strength? Literally, verse 8 would be described, if you were to translate this literally, Micah is saying, I be filled spirit power. Excuse me, power spirit. I got that order wrong. I be filled power spirit of God. 
We are called to be salt and light to the world. We're called to proclaim the truth. We are, sorry. Maybe this explains this better. I'm running out of time, I think. Have you ever wondered why when we are saved, God doesn't just take us away? Have you ever pondered that? Like, wouldn't that be easy? Right? Lord, forgive me of my sins. I'm a rebel. I see Christ as the only hope that I have. And poof, you're gone. Enter into the presence of the Lord, happiness forever and ever and ever. Why doesn't God do that? Because he's a jerk? No. Because he doesn't care? He, 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 he wants you to have to suffer and grind out life for the next however many years you have? No. He does it for a reason. He has left us to be witnesses. Is it not interesting that in Matthew 18, the Great Commission, Jesus says, all power and authority has been given to me. Therefore, hide and bunker down until the end comes. That's not what Jesus says. He says, therefore, go into all the world, the world that hates me, the world that's pursuing death, the world that doesn't care about what you have. Go into all the world, preaching, teaching, all that I've taught you. And lo and behold, I will be with you to the end of the age. Christian, we have power. We have strength to do the very thing that Micah did. To declare transgressions, to declare sin, not out of evil hatred, but out of love. He himself, the spirit of God, God, right? The third person of the triune God, dwells in us so that we can stand firm. If you struggle with that, I pray that you would just simply humble yourself again and say, fill me with your spirit again. Not that you lose the spirit, but we leak a little. Fill me again. I'm fearful, fill me again. I'm not sure what to say when my coworker asks this question. Fill me again. I need your power. I need your spirit. They're one and the same. Let us not, in fear, back down. Because if the Lord is for us, who could be against us? And he has already promised us the very power that we need. And he has already given it to us in his spirit. Father, forgive us. Forgive us when we have thought that your spirit is insufficient. Forgive us when we have cowered from opportunities that you have placed us in. There is a reason you didn't pull us away. It's because we are called to be a witness. And your very word promises us that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we will be your witnesses. In our weakness, 
your strength is made perfect. Because it shows that the power isn't from us, it's from you. So Lord, give us that power. Help us to be heralds of the gospel, which when it first hits the ears of those who do not believe, they feel condemnation. They, they feel the weight because it reveals sin. But help us to not back down continue to hold out the gospel because while it reveals sin, it also reveals the very means by which one is saved, one is renewed, one has a hope that is far greater than anything that earth has to promise. Empower us, Lord, to stand for you and your name until you finally do call us home. We pray in Jesus' name. stand and sing in response. There's a God who weeps, there's a God who pleads, 
freedom, your stripes, my healing, all praise, King Jesus, glory to God in heaven, your blood, still speaking, your love, still reaching, all praise, King Jesus, glory to God forever, your cross, my freedom, your stripes, my healing, all praise, King Jesus, glory to God in heaven, your blood, still speaking, your love, still reaching, all praise, King Jesus, glory to God forever. head out just a, a few brief things first if if you're newer to our church newer to our body here we want to invite you uh, right at right now right after this back uh, to the 300s area there for lunch with the leaders get to uh, ask your questions get to know a little bit more about our church 
um, with myself, the other pastors, some of the elders as well. We invite you to, to join us for that. We'd love to have you. Uh, the other is, if, if you feel like you need some time to pray, if, you, if, if there's something that God's put on your heart, again, I want to encourage you, you can, you can come up here, right here at the end. We have our care team, some of the elders and others will be here. We'd love to pray with you. Uh, if you are this section, you guys have the privilege of stacking chairs today. Um, let me send you out with these words, right? Here's, here's one of the reasons why, as, as followers who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, why God hasn't just taken us away. From John's Gospel, chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. That's the gospel. Let's go so that others will find the joy of salvation and not know the condemnation for their sins. Have a blessed week, church.